All right, last week, if you'll remember, this was all supposed to be, I had it in my head that we would cover all that we're about to talk about even today, uh, last week, and we only got about halfway through, and we put a pin in it, and so now we're going to finish the rest of the way. But does anyone recall some of what we talked about last week? I started off our talk last week by discussing siblings. Do you remember this? And that uh, some of you may have siblings. I have a sibling. My kids have siblings. Uh, who were the, we, we talked about the siblings of Jesus Christ. Yes, he had half brothers and even sisters, but who are the other siblings that we made mention of last week as told in the word of God? Does anyone remember who they were? The, the two we specifically highlighted. Adam, Adam, who's referred to in Genesis as son of, well, actually in the, in, the, in the genealogy of Christ, when they go all the way down through the genealogy and get to Adam, Adam, son of God, right? And then the second one was Israel. And again, we talked a little bit about that this morning in the, in the, in the service. Israel has, a, has a, such a varied meaning, and we were just talking about this before we started this morning. Israel... Israel is the name of uh, God's people. It is the name of a nation too, yes, but as you saw this morning in the service, if you were there, is that Israel, God's people, for that latter period of that Old Testament period, were centrally focused around Judah. So even the, the people of Israel started to attack the people of Judah, and you think, wait a minute. So think about Israel as it, as it relates to God's people. Believe it or not, the people were called Israel before they ever got to the promised land. So when you think of Israel, think of God's people, but it's also in the scriptures referred to, referred to as uh, the firstborn son. Uh, Exodus 4, 22 to 23, it says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, when, Pharaoh, when uh, Moses went in to go speak with Pharaoh and, and tell him, let my people go, he says, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I will say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Okay, and remember what we said. Uh, by the time we get to John 3, 16, where we hear about Jesus Christ, his, his one and only son. So how do we say the Bible gets away with that? We hear Adam referred to as the firstborn son. We hear Israel referred to the firstborn son. And then we get to John, it says his one and only son. So how do we get away with that? Do you remember that part? They're pointers. That's right. So every time, everything that you read, everything that you read in the Old Testament, you have to remember is a pointer to what would be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Adam was a pointer to Jesus Christ, his only son. Israel, his firstborn son, was a pointer to Jesus Christ, his firstborn son. Keep those things in mind as we, as we labor through these things. And let's see, what else did we talk about besides siblings? Um, Okay, we talked about the garden, we talked a little bit about the garden and how, uh, um, what was it, the, the serpent that told our original parents that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, and, and he said, did God actually say? All right, remember, that was the, uh, that was the outline, and we put up three things, we put up three things, uh, let's see if I have them here on the slide, I bet I still do, three things, do you remember these three things? They're up here somewhere. There are three types of sin that was outlined for us in 1 John. Do you remember this? We had the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That came from 1 John 2, 15 to 16. All right, and what we said here is the Apostle John outlined for us almost every sin, every sin that you commit, every sin that you engage in, probably can be narrowed down to one of these three types 
of sin, desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes and pride of life. And then that's when we went into the Garden of Eden. And we said, what happened? What, what, what happened to the Garden of Eden? Was that the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, or the pride of life? Basically all of them. All three happened in one, in one setting. And, uh, and again, uh, you know, if like for instance, you read in, in uh, uh, Genesis 3, 6, and it was a delight to the eyes. Uh, and again, that gave way to, uh, uh, to, her, to giving the, uh, uh, the, the fruit to her husband. Again, by that point, it was a ride downhill and, and everything was already ruined by that point. But um, in the same way, same way as Adam and Eve, Jesus' other sibling we mentioned earlier, the nation of Israel, Again, they were no better than what Adam and Eve engaged in in the garden. Israel, the firstborn of God, were faced with the same trappings that their original parents caved to as well. Same sorts of things. Okay, so again, ancient Israel, they were delivered from the hands of Pharaoh and they escaped Egypt. They left Egypt and though they were pursued by Pharaoh's army, the Lord protected them. Talked about that this morning too. He protected them and guided them by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He continually showed him that he would fight for them. I will fight for you. He would go before them. And their response, just like their siblings, the original parents, Adam and Eve, they had this tendency to say, thanks God, but we'd like to be God ourselves, if you don't mind. We'd like to be for instance, a golden calf. Moses is taking a little too long on the mountain, and well, we'd like to worship God our way, not your way, our way, me first. Okay, that's the pride of life, just like their original parents. I know you've shown us over and over and over again that you are the one true God, but we'd like to be in charge here. We'd like to be God, is kind of the, 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 the sentiment of Israel. We'd like to make God in our image, not be made in his. So we've made this golden calf pride of life. Okay, same sin. As the people of God then wandered in the desert, you know, the Lord not only fought for them, but he provided for them. He literally gave them food from the heavens to sustain them. Can you imagine if you, if you were lost in the woods and every morning you woke up, there's a new batch of bread just waiting for you there. Okay, if, if that was going, if that was happening to you, would you ever doubt that God ever again. Every morning, miraculously, there appears some bread just waiting for you. And did you know this? The exact amount of manna they needed fell down from heaven every single day, exactly what they needed. And to boot, they got a double portion the day before the Sabbath, so they wouldn't have to collect Sabbath, uh, manna on the Sabbath. Isn't that crazy? An amazing provision, a miracle. Uh, as if this happens every day. Uh, so we're, we're, we're going to be good. We're never going to go hungry, they would have to say. Just like Adam and Eve, their, their, their siblings prior, they started to moan. They started to, you know, uh, complain. I know we've been provided for. I know we've got everything in this garden to eat. But what else can I have? Israel did the very same thing. Adam and Eve were saying, well, what else? I've got everything, but what else? I still want more. Same thing with, with Israel. I've got daily bread daily bread, but what else can I have? Okay, now this is Numbers 11, 4 and following. Let's see if I can find it up here. Numbers 11, 4 and following. Those are the three. Oh, just give me a minute. Here we go. Now the rabble 
that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Again, not enough that it's magically, you know, raining manna from heaven, but yeah, I, I just would like a little meat every once in a while. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks. Who craves a leek? <laughs> the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna, this miraculous manna to look at, right? Can you believe it? God, what, you, what you're doing is not enough. Again, this is carbon copy of what's happened in the garden. What you're doing is not enough. It, it was just like their ancient siblings. You know, I, I'd still like more. And they're saying, remember when we had all that stuff to eat? All right? They wanted more. It's the desire. What, what, what might we call this? Remember the, the you know, pride of life, desire of the eyes, desire of the flesh? What is this? How, would you, how might you classify this? Huh? Flesh, yes, desire of the flesh. That's what I would call it too. Desire of the flesh. Give our bodies what we want. Even if it means spurning God's provision, we want what we want uh, and we're not grateful for what we've got. Desire of the flesh. On a side note, how did God respond to this whining and moaning for meat? This is one of my favorite parts. This is great. <laughs> Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not just eat one day or two days or five days or 10 days or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? Do you see what's happening here? You want meat? I'm going to give you meat. You know, and again, that's a little bit, again, but we have a repeated theme from this morning. The Lord often says, okay, you want, is this what you want? I'm going to give it to you. You can, and you tell me what you think about it to the point that it's literally coming out of their nostrils. All right. Okay. What's for lunch? Does anyone, anyone have any suggestions? And again, it didn't end here for Israel. They failed the, uh, the same way their original parents did. Do you know that after they left Egypt at this point, they, they didn't have a king. The Lord told them, I am your king. You don't need a king. And the people said, yeah, but look at our neighbors. Again, this is just so, again, same thing. I, I know the Lord, I know, Lord, you're our king, but, you know, we just want like a, a person person. Could, could you do that for, it's not enough that you, God of the universe, are our king. We want a, a figurehead. They have a person king. We would like that too. They saw something that looked good to them. That looks pretty good to me. This is what? Desire of? Desire of the eyes. Same thing, same thing. They're guilty of all three, just like their siblings. Desire of the flesh, desire of the eyes, pride of life. It's like the Bible is telling us, here's man and here's his problem. He can't seem to steer from desire of the eyes, flesh, and pride. When he's faced with that, he caves in. And this is a real problem. This was Adam's problem, who, who was your perfect representative. Adam was your perfect representative. He did as you would do. What he caved to, you caved to also. This was Israel's problem too. Israel was the perfect representative of the church. Okay? Israel did just as the church does. We tend to, to follow in the footsteps of Israel. What they caved to, the church also caves to. We are abundantly provided for. Yet we still find a reason to complain, right? 
Israel represents us well. And so then look at uh, the book of John, how the book of John opens up. This is John 1, 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the word. This is what Advent is all about, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God, the infinite, the eternal, came down and shrouded himself with flesh. He came not like a man, but as a man. He came down to represent you, just like your ancient siblings before, just like your Adam and Eve, your ancient parents before. They perfectly represented you, so too would Jesus come down and represent you. But as we, as we started out last week saying, siblings, thankfully, aren't always alike. This sibling was different than the prior ones. How was this sibling different? I'm going to tell a little bit about this tonight. I'm going to tell you a, a short story. Not right now. That's going to be a teaser for tonight. You got to come hear it. But it's along these lines. Okay, what is different? What makes, before Jesus has a chance to do anything at all, as he lies there in that manger, what makes this child different than every other child that came before him? He's sinless. Do you realize that since Adam, since, since the curse of original sin, every single human being that has ever walked the earth has been tainted by original sin. But Jesus, as he lies in the manger, was conceived of the Holy Spirit, which means that that, that chain of original sin as started by Adam was now broken. So for the first time, we have a human being, a little baby, lying in a manger who is without original sin. That's a miracle. Before he does anything at all, before he walks on water, before he, he heals the blind man, before he raises himself from the dead, this little baby is miraculous in and of himself, just like that. Okay, now he's sinless. What happens next? What began as a perfect environment, okay, think about just like Adam, Jesus was also tempted. Just, just uh, when, when Adam sinned by eating of, this, of, of the tree, which God told him not to eat, Adam turned the garden into a barren wilderness. Adam turned the garden into a barren wilderness. What began as a perfect environment was now a barren place of sin, rebellion, misery, and danger. And now here's Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It's like he's picking up where he left off. Not in a garden, but in a barren wilderness. This is what we were left with. And now here's Jesus in the wilderness. And the serpent came to him and it transpired like this. Adam 4. Adam. <laughs> Adam 12. <laughs> One Adam 12. But that was a TV show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I remember. The same as Donnie Marie. Back, remember back? Came on right after. No. Adam 4, <laughs> Matthew 4, Matthew 4, 1 to 3. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Do you see any similarity here? Just like his siblings before, hey, Adam, wouldn't you like that? Does that look good to you? Your body needs that. Your body doesn't only need what the Lord has provided you. You need this too, and you need it now. And in similar manner, hey, Israel, would you like meat to eat? 
Are you tired of the manna? Your body doesn't only need what the Lord has provided you. You need this too. Your body needs meat. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's the same story. Hey, Jesus, how about giving in to the desires of the flesh? Your body needs more than what God has given you, don't you think? Turn those stones into bread. And instead of, gra- instead of gratifying the flesh, again, sins of the flesh, instead of gratifying the flesh, Jesus says, verse 4, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. No, I won't gratify the flesh. I'm satisfied with what the Lord has given me. But the assault continues. What else is in Satan's bag of tricks? I I promise you it's nothing new. I promise you it's the same thing. The same thing that his siblings saw. It's the same material he used on his ancient siblings that Jesus and Adam and Israel. it's, It's not a new thing. It's the very same thing. If his siblings like it, Jesus ought to like it too. Verse five, let's see. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. The audacity is astounding here. It's astounding. Do you see what the serpent is doing here? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. Okay, he's quoting Psalm, uh, Psalm 91, but it's as if he's questioning God's word and asking Jesus, just like he did to his ancient siblings, did God actually say, is that what he said, right? He's trying to use God's word to his advantage and say, hey, Jesus, how about doing this your way? How about doing this on your terms? Throw yourself down and have angels rescue you and people will be astonished and amazed. They'll treat you like a god. It's almost as if he's saying, just like he said to his ancient siblings, you will be like God. You'll be like God. Do it your way and you'll be like God. Again, just like he said to ancient Israel. Do you want religion on your terms? Then do it. Do it. Make yourself an idol. Then the people, uh, the, uh, give the people something else to worship on their, on their terms. It's as if he's saying, come on, Jesus. Don't you need to satisfy the pride of life here? You can do it right here, just like your siblings did. How does Jesus respond? It is written. Again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. No, I won't gratify the pride of life. I'm satisfied with the order of life that God has set. I'm not willing to test that. And then the serpent made one last attempt. One last ditch effort. And again, it's the same material. We've seen this already. We've seen this with Adam. We've seen this with Israel. It's like a bad sequel. Have you seen Jaws 3, Jaws 4, Jaws 5? It's the same thing over and over again. Same thing. Verse 8, the serpent does this. Rocky 5 too. Rocky 5 was terrible. Rocky 4 was awesome though. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you, the audacity, if you will fall down and worship me. Look, Jesus, look, look and see. Let your eyes inform your heart. Do, do your eyes want this? Your ancient siblings, Adam and Eve, they saw the fruit was good and they took it. Your other siblings, Israel... 
they continually looked over at their neighbors and saw the gods that they were worshiping and they reached, they reached out and took what they wanted. Don't you want this too, Jesus? Don't you want everything that your eyes can see? Don't you want all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus? Just give in to the desires of your eyes. Verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, you big dummy. That's my, that's my paraphrase. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, you, you wily serpent, I, I won't give in to the desires of the eyes. I won't do it. I'm content with the provision I've been given in, in, in God the Father and I serve him alone. I will not serve what my eyes see. I serve God and God alone. Now get lost. Get out of here. Desire the eyes, desire the flesh, and the pride of life. Tempted by all three, just as his ancient siblings were. But Jesus, the new and better Adam, Paul calls him, the new and better Israel was able to say no. And as a result, because he represented you, because he represented me, just as we died in Adam, the work of Christ has undone that death and redeemed what Adam has destroyed. And did you notice how Jesus responded every time? How did Jesus respond every time the, temp the, the, the devil tempted him with something? It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. This, same, you and I could learn a lesson from this too. Because inevitably, you will be tempted. You will, you will engage in the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. And your only response, your only recourse is to fall back on scripture. What do the scriptures tell me? If there's ever any doubt, is this something that I need? Is this something that I want? Is this something that will satisfy me? What do the scriptures say? What do the scriptures say? You know, let's make this our code to live by and you'll receive the blessing of God, okay? But do you see, again, what we ended up doing is saying, okay, instead, this is the code that I want to live by. I want to live by the flesh. I want to live by what my eyes see. And I want to, I want to live by, by what my pride tells me to do. And it fails us every single time, every single time. But do you see what Jesus did? Jesus took those lessons of, of Deuteronomy and he lived them out. He did, he did what was required of them and he did it for your sake. He did it on your behalf. Do you see how profound that is? Jesus did what his ancient siblings couldn't do. Just, just as they were instructed to do, he did what they were supposed to do. Jesus did was, was asked of his siblings, but they failed. Jesus didn't. Jesus was tempted in the exact same manner his siblings were, but he remained resolute in his commitment to his heavenly father. And we read this in Hebrews. And then we can open it up for some questions because uh, this, is, this, is, this is all I've got. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he's, he, but one who never respects has been tempted just as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in other words, he did all the things. He did all the things that were required of you and he can identify with you. He knows, he knows what temptation is, but yet he said no. And again, well, yeah, you say, but, but he's the son of God. Yeah, he is. He's fully God, fully man. And the son of God, only the son of God could do this. Only the son of God could do what you are unable to do. And the great thing about that is, is he doesn't sit on top of that mountain and say, ha ha, I did it, you can't. 
Instead, what he did, he said, ridiculous, right? Instead, what he said, you know what? I'll take, I'll take the punishment for your sin. I'll take it. And the righteousness that I did earn before the Father, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to give that to you. And as a result, now you stand before the Father right now, right now. You don't have to wait for it. You, you, you have it right now. You're justified right now as you stand before the Father. You have the righteousness of Christ draped over you because he withstood the temptations of the devil on your behalf. That's, that's, again, the miracle of Christmas. That was the miracle of the advent, the miracle of this child that came so that he could grow up to do the things that you couldn't do on your behalf. All right? All right. Thoughts, comments, questions, uh, insights, anything else you'd like to bring up? Yes, sir. Ray. He does. Satan has an explanation for everything, Ray says. And uh, I, I can't remember who said this, but um, I, I don't remember if it was a pastor or a teacher in the past, but we often think about the devil coming to us with, you know, horns on his head and a pitchfork, and, you know, presenting himself, ha ha, I'm evil. Come, it's not, he comes as an angel of light. He, he comes as, a, as, as someone that, that looks pretty good. And it's disguised in all kinds of ways and you, all kinds of rationalizations as to why you should do the thing that you're... And again, that's why it's so important that we fall back on the Word of God because the Word of God divides that and says, no, that's, that's inconsistent with, the, with God's Word. Therefore, you know, do this, not that. Okay? Great, great point. Someone else? What else you got for me here? Yes. about to say it. <coughs> Blaise Pascal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. No, we're not. You're absolutely right. Uh, Dean mentioned, uh, the, and, and so did Kim, the idea of this, this God-sized hole or this God-sized vacuum. Blaise Pascal said this, and that only, it only can probably be filled by, by Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We should be able to identify with anyone who comes along because we, we, we've, we've had, we know that, that vacuum. We know that God-shaped, that God-shaped hole. And blessedly, uh, you and I, are filled by that God-shaped vacuum, but, but everyone else, whether it's through identity, whether it's through power, whether it's through money, whatever it is, they're trying to cram something in there that, that tries to fill that space up. And so that, and we should have all the, the sympathy in the world and all the empathy uh, for people like that. But instead, you know, I think we tend to maybe sort of say, ah, I got it, you don't. But again, it should create empathy and say, listen, I understand what you're doing. I know what you're trying to do. Here's the only thing that can remedy that. Here's the only thing that can remedy that is Jesus Christ. Uh, and we do need to get better at, at, uh, at saying that message than, uh, than sort of just being a, a holy huddle. 
and keeping it to ourselves. Yeah, Gene. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that we leak. We leak? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, when I talked just a moment ago, I talked about uh, justification. You've heard me talk about this a number of times before. We have the, we have the justification of, of God in, in, in Jesus Christ right now. We have that. That'll never change. You have, that will not change. You are, you are righteous in God's sight, no matter what you do tomorrow, no matter what you do the next day, no matter what you did yesterday, but we leak. We, we, we're still being sanctified. We're still being made to be like Jesus. That does not affect your status from a justification standpoint. You have it, but you are continually in the process of being made holy. And we have to be reminded of these things every single day. Because again, though we have this God-shaped hole filled by Jesus Christ, we still have a tendency to doubt it, that it's completely full. And we still have wandering eyes. But again, Jesus stands in that gap and says, I, I filled it, I've done it. And we need to remind ourselves of that every single day, every day. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, Courtney. Exactly it. Exactly. Well said. Hebrews 10. And again, it, it's the distinction between uh, being the, having the guilty guilt and the guilty conscience, because sometimes we fail to believe it. We fail to believe the effectual nature of what Christ has done for us. And we're reminded, just like Courtney said, you know, draw near to him, crawl up in his lap, because he, will, he reminds you, he tells you, he tells you your truth and who you are, uh, not based on what you think is true about you or what maybe even sometimes your heart tells about you. Jesus has the final and ultimate word. Yeah. Anyone else? Yeah, Scott. Uh-oh. Uh, so we, all of us in this room are sons of that, right? So mm -hmm. we're changed by that saying that Jesus was not. Um, does this also sort of mean that he was not actually the son of Mary? Because wouldn't Mary also be tainted by the sin of Adam? Yeah. Great question. Okay, so, and again, this is where, where Catholic doctrine differs from uh, Christian doctrine because what, what Catholic doctrine says is that because of the, uh, what's called the Immaculate Conception, uh, Mary was born without sin, bypassed uh, the, the sin of Adam. But what we believe, we believe in what, uh, what theologians call federal representation. This is what Paul talks about when he speaks of the first Adam and the second Adam. Our representation... Is, is, is from Adam. His sin, Adam's sin, is imputed to us, okay? From, the sin of, from, from Adam, okay? And by the same metrics, Jesus' righteousness is imputed to us, the second Adam. So what about Mary? Mary, we would say, and this again, this is where we would differ from the Catholics, we, Mary was subject to original sin. She had original sin. However, again, from a representation standpoint, our sin is imputed from Adam. It's not genetic. I'm not saying it's in genetics, but it's from Adam. And Jesus was the first human to walk the earth who did not receive that imputation from Adam because, as we read this morning in Luke 4, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, okay, which made him fully God, fully man. 
conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, fully God, fully man. Does that make sense? Again, it's not, it's not that Mary was without sin. We believe Mary had sin, but it's that imputation from Adam that Jesus did not receive because he was uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit. That makes sense? That's tricky. And again, that's why we still differ from the Catholics on that very issue today. Yeah. It had to be that way. I wrote that sentence. <laughs> it's a great quote. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a shout out. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, sure, yeah. And we're tempted to manipulate that moment of scarcity without waiting on the Lord and waiting on the provision. And the answer to the time of scarcity wasn't to subject oneself to temptation, but to Scripture. Yeah. So that's a thank you for that. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. That's what I take away for is encouragement mm -hmm. to be patient. Man does not live by bread and water alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. If, if we could just remember that much, you know, what, what needs would we have? But we tend to forget it. We always forget it. We always forget it that, oh, there's something else out there that makes more sense than, than what the, the word of the Lord tells us. Did you have something? I thought I saw your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. So is the question basically, how, how do we study the word so that this takes effect? Yeah, okay, great question. Who wants to answer that? <laughs> I have an answer. I, I do have an answer, but does someone else want to take a swing at it? What do you think, Lucy? Great answer. Okay, I'll, I'll give you my answer, which is very similar to Lucy's. And, and this, uh, this is not an original thought. I, I've uh, heard this first from someone else. It's very much along the same lines as 
exercise. You know, if you have this idea of, uh, you know, one day I, would, I want to be uh, 180 pounds and I want to be, uh, you know, ripped. I want to have a six pack and all that stuff. You know, that, you can't just all of a sudden one day say, uh, I'm going to have that tomorrow, right? What does it take? It takes, it takes a lot of time, repetitive, thing, repetitive time in the gym, repetitive time doing your cardio, repetitive time eating right and d- develop these habits. It's not that it happens one day. You know, if you've ever trained for something like a half marathon or a marathon, you can't just one day say, I'm going to try running a marathon today. No, you have to first run two miles. Then you have to run three miles, then four, then five, and slowly work yourself up. Reading the Word of God is very similar. You need to start somewhere. I would recommend just start making your way through the Bible. As painful as it is once you get to Numbers and Leviticus, power through it. Power through it. And here's what happens. Over the course of 15 10 years, you know, something like that, you, you suddenly have understanding, you have knowledge, you have understanding of things that maybe, maybe you didn't have when you first started because of the repetitive uh, nature of, of what it is to read the Bible. Um, and I would throw this in there too. I have never uh, learned more and, and been able to uh, maybe answer some of these questions like this uh, than from when I started teaching. When I started teaching, it, it puts sort of the onus on you. you you're going to have to stand in front of people and answer some questions, and you want to be able to have the answers. And so what that does is that makes, okay, I'm going to study this passage, but I want to anticipate every question that might come around out of that passage. And so I want to know the answers. I want to study that. Now, everyone is not going to have the opportunity to stand in front of a class like this and teach, but everyone will have the opportunity to teach someone. And so I would say, make that your objective. I'm going to teach this, what I'm learning, to someone somewhere, whether it's your best friend, whether it's your mother, your father, your sibling, uh, your children, uh, your best friend. Show yourself approved from a studying standpoint and anticipate whatever questions they may come. And um, make yourself have these imaginary scenarios like, well, what if my friend said this? What if my friend said that? And keep looking. There's plenty of resources out there that, for instance, if you just want to study, I want to study the, the book of John. I can give you a list of books that will help you, help you do that. But do that with that thought in mind that I want to be able to teach this to someone at some point. Start with the daily repetitive nature, the daily exercise, if you will, and then eventually get to a place where you're ready to share that with someone, where you have the desire. I want to be able to share this, so what do I need to do now to be able to ready myself to, to share this with somebody? And I promise you, I promise you, you'll, you'll develop a depth of understanding that doesn't come by accident. It wasn't just magically you know, put inside of you. It comes from the daily routine of ingesting the Word of God. And over time, it's like, oh, I've somehow accumulated all this, <laughs> this information from the daily routine and then the desire to want to share it with someone else. That's the best answer I've got. And it's 11.28. Just a reminder, if you have kids in the nursery or in special needs class, please be on time to pick them up. And I will uh, dismiss us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the perfect one, Jesus Christ, Son of God, who did as all the other sons of God couldn't do. We thank you that he stepped in there for us and lived a life on our behalf so that we could have his righteousness, so that he could have our sin and we could have his righteousness, so that we could be presented before you as faultless. Thank you for this miracle. Thank you for the Son of God. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We'll see you all tonight.